Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cochilillo, and today we have Steve Bassett. He is the Executive Director of Paradigm Research Group, and he is here to discuss disclosure. Thanks for coming on tonight. Happy to be with you again, my friend. Fantastic. So there has been quite a bit going on lately in the UFO community. Um, but let's kind of like, like we backtrack a little bit before, you know, like we were just talking about, you know, um, I had asked you earlier before we went on the air about when the government first uh, realized that ETs were here and um, why are the, who knows and who doesn't know basically? These are key questions. The, the U.S. government, that part of the government that would deal with it, knew about the ET presence no later than July 47. That's the Roswell event. Mm-hmm. They didn't just get a vehicle. They got bodies. And those bodies were not from Norway or Denmark or whatever. So they were clearly extraterrestrials. So they know. But... There is some evidence of a crash in the U.S. before that. Cape Girardeau comes to mind as one or two others. It's possible that they knew even before the war, but they really kept it tight and then pretty much had to sit on it because mm-hmm. there was this war. All right? So uh, whatever they might want to do about or however they're going to deal with uh, an ET craft with or without bodies, prior to the war, it was going to be totally delayed because of the war. So then the war ends and maybe they're thinking, okay, we got to look into this. But again, it's totally classified. In other words, it's totally secure. What makes 47 different is that there was a crash similar perhaps to what had happened earlier, if there were earlier crashes. And the army army base there in Roswell didn't get the email about what to do with crashed vehicles from outer space. (laughs) And they put out a press release. (laughs) It said, ah, we got a saucer here. I think they were really excited and probably thinking, hey, we're, we're going to get famous for this. And, oh, boy, that was a big problem. And so they were able to contain it. They barely contained it. It could have easily gotten out of control, and we would have had disclosure literally in 1947. I'm serious about that. We came within hours of, of having disclosure because they, they were able to get the second press conference out later that night by Roger Ramey over in Dallas before the reporters got there. I mean, the story was out around the country, but, you know, the reporters didn't weren't able to just go right to Roswell. Things were a little slower back then, if you know what I'm talking about. Right. And Roswell's in the middle of nowhere, right? So if you're an L.A. Times reporter, you got to drive to Roswell. And so they got, they changed the story and the reporters just turned around, went back to paper and the papers printed the, the uh, updated event and off we go. And and the government just dodged it, but no later than 47. And and going forward, uh, within all of the major governments of this planet, I say major, 
all of the developed companies, countries for sure, such as communist China, Soviet Union, UK, Canada, Australia, United States, France, undoubtedly, all the countries that had air forces that were sending up planes to check out these, these uh, unidentified aerial craft. Uh, those who are in a need, need to know in these governments have known. That doesn't mean everybody in the government knows. In fact, the vast, vast, vast majority of people would not know. For, for the vast majority of all people working in, in governments since, again, 47, uh, what they know about this phenomena is what they would have read in the public media. Newspapers, books, uh, reports or something coming from some organization like NICAP or something. And so those that paid attention or, or bothered, they could learn some things from the public domain, but they weren't going to get it within the government because if they weren't on need to know, they were not going to get anywhere near the ET issue. So that's kind of been the, the status of it uh, for the last 74 years. Why the secrecy? The secrecy is, and I'm asked that question constantly, I think it's fairly straightforward. Uh, the, uh, we just finished a world war we had dropped comic bombs on Japan. So we confirmed the ability to convert atomic energy into weapons, big weapons. By 47 July, we were aware that the uh, Soviets had gotten the bomb secrets, not just the uh, fission bomb secrets, but they had, in addition to whatever research they were doing, they also had material from our world uh, through spies of the fusion bomb and that they were going to certainly develop a uh, nuclear weapon. And we also knew they had German missile scientists. We didn't get them all. They got a bunch too. Mm -hmm. So from the standpoint of the United States military that wanted, you know, there were people in the military that wanted to go to war with the Soviet Union right after the war ended in Europe. I mean, they didn't want to waste any time and, and they didn't, but believe me, they were, the Soviet Union was, was viewed as a threat, even though it had been a major ally. Once they had the bomb secrets, major threat. Plus the way they were dealing with the territories uh, and Central Europe. So the military calculated correctly that uh, there was going to be a, a serious issue with the Soviet Union. There was a serious prospect for nuclear war, meaning the Third World War was going to be nuclear, and the Fourth World War would be sticks and stones. Mm -hmm. And... And, and, and that was serious. It wasn't a speculation. So they knew all that. And so they took, they took, they started making steps to, to really build up our, what eventually became our Cold War defenses, which included intelligence, passed the National Security Act in 47. The CIA was established out of the OSS. Very shortly thereafter, the NSA was formed. So they're gearing up for a war of words and propaganda and maybe even nuclear weapons with the Soviet Union. And then ETs crash in Roswell. So whoever in our government may have known about any earlier crashes, if there were some confirming an ET presence, a lot more people in our government found out in right. July of 1947. And so they're now faced with, what do we do? Do we, do we announce this to the public based on their, the public's right to know uh, and risk the unintended uh, consequences of that? And what will be the effect on geopolitical situation? How will the, 
the, the Soviets, do they know? Will they react? Will we end up with a, 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 some sort of ET arms race? Who knows? I mean, and, 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 and they didn't, they probably didn't have a lot of information about, didn't know what the ETs wanted, uh, didn't know what the technology could do. And so they said, we're classifying this, absolutely. And I, I would have done the same. Mm-hmm. So it was secret, classified, deep classified. In other words, it, they, they recognized it needed to be classified. They also rep, re- recognized it was probably more significant than the nuclear weapons issue. And so they classified it, anticipating that w- w- depending upon how things unfolded, they could bring this to the, to the, to the nation uh, at the appropriate time. Obviously, if we had a nuclear war, it would be moot, wouldn't it? Nobody right. would care. But if things settled down with the Soviet Union, <clears throat> if we were able to come to some understandings, uh, back away from these you know, very, very entrenched opposing positions and have an early detente, who knows? But that's not what happened. And they couldn't have known this. What happened, of course, retrospect, is that the Cold War, the formal Cold War, went on for 44 more years. And a lot of the people that made the decisions back then were dead. Right. And so, and not only did the Cold War go on for 44 years, but it got worse and worse with each year. In other words, the number of nuclear weapons grew every year, practically. The power of these weapons grew. The delivery systems expanded. More countries got nuclear weapons. From the standpoint of the national security structures, the risk of something going terribly wrong just got worse and worse. And I remember it well. And so by the mid 80s, there were about 86,000 nuclear weapons in stock with thousands of them on immediate launch capability, as well as eight countries, I believe. And so there was no way the ET issue was going to be revealed, the confirmation to the American people during those 44 years. Now, once the Cold War ended, the risk diminished, but it didn't go to zero. And so then the issue was, how could we end the truth embargo and reveal the confirmation of this uh, in this post-Cold War era? How is it going to go? Are we going to go back into another Cold War? Are we going to have some great treaties? Are things going to settle down? What's going to happen? But clearly it was more possible. And that's why Lawrence Rockefeller went to Bill Clinton and his administration and said, I want to talk to you about getting all the files out. I want to talk to you about basically ending the truth embargo. Mm-hmm. And the Rockefeller Initiative began in March of 1993. In general, the way the world has handled the post-Cold War period has not been very good. Okay. Let's just say that we, we didn't outgrow our uh, ancient worldviews and, and look at the world in a different way. We did plenty to make the, uh, the now... Uh, uh, 30 years since the end of the Cold War, really problematic, committing major mistakes, uh, not solving problems. And this has made it difficult, I think, for, for a consensus to develop within the national security structures, within the military intelligence complex, that, hey, let's, let's, let's move forward on this. Let's see what we can do. Uh, and I get that. And that's why it's taken so long. And, but I, there's a caveat here, and that is until... October of 2017. Mm-hmm. That's when everything changed. Right. Some of it changed. I mean, prior 
to to what came out in 2017, I mean, there was Bob Lazar. Yeah, sure. And and also there was people, you know, also involved in that reverse engineering that that did talk about it. Uh, that's actually what got me into this topic was I was working at Bell Labs in New Jersey, and one of the scientists there who was working on um, the fiber optic design because it wasn't created yet had told me that he had worked for NASA and took part in the reverse engineering of uh, of the UFO mm-hmm. that they had found. And then it was like a, maybe a year or two later. You know, I had dismissed him as you know just some crazy old guy telling me a story. And then a couple of years later, you know, I saw the Bob Lazar story come out. And I said, "Oh man, maybe this guy is telling the truth." Um, what I find interesting is, about that is the government never took any action against some of those scientists that were openly talking about what they had seen and how it was being distributed through our our corporations. I'm you aware know, the, of, some the, of the the. Um, you know the the silicone chip technology, the fiber optic technology, all that supposedly came from from recovered UFOs. Oh, the, the circumstances prior to seventeen were this: there were various people that turned up with stories that were significant and referred even to Area Fifty One uh, and reverse engineering and so forth, but they weren't getting media attention mm-hmm. they were not they, they were they were getting attention from researchers internet sites things like that but in ter- the new york times was not writing stories about them uh and the government was not backing them up and so the reason they weren't bothered primarily is because the government didn't see them as a threat they, they weren't going to get traction it wasn't going to come too big a deal but they did add a little bit of evidence some of it may not have been valid, but they added some 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 valid evidence to the overall research evidence, and and we and, and we there are people in my my colleagues who who uh, wrote it up and talked about it, and maybe turned up in a conference or something like that. So mm-hmm. it helped, but it no reveal, no witness, no event, including the Project Blue Book, right? Including, and well, there there are events in the past that had significant effects and impact, such as the huge events over Washington in 1952, July 52, uh, which is what really set the truth embargo in stone. I mean, after that, they just really moved to lock things up. Uh, But I think no event compares to what happened in October 2017. It's the most important event in the 74-year history of the engagement uh, of this issue by government. Right. And what you're talking about is the Two to Stars Academy, Louis Alessandro and the Chris Mellon. The launching Mellon of the Two to Stars Academy. Coming October out, coming out yeah. with a Tic Tac video. Well, first the launching of the Two to Stars Academy uh-huh. and the website and the the people that were on it. That was the first clue. Something huge was going down. Because that we had never seen an assemblage of people like that publicly, openly, proactively saying we're going to address the subject matter related to UAPs, right? And even technology, never. Uh, and then uh, coming, on, coming on as a public benefit corporation and uh, raising money. I mean, they were serious. Right? 
So that was the first indication that something big was coming. But right. that was the first shoe. The second shoe dropped two months later because the first significant thing they did as an organization, as a group, right, uh, was to deliver major news stories to the New York Times, which then vetted those news stories, vetted the witnesses, did all it normally does. The New York Times just doesn't publish anything. And they were perfectly comfortable with putting two major news stories on the front page of the December 16th, 2017 New York Times. That was the second shoe, and that's the day that this issue, the disclosure movement, crossed the Rubicon. Right. And there was no going back. Interesting. They also came out on Tucker, Collar, Coll Tucker too. <laughs> later. later. Yeah. Tucker got on board the disclosure train later. Not right away. But he, he got on. He got on earlier than most everybody else in terms of cable news. Mm -hmm. Just to his credit. Uh, I get it. And, and, and CNN and MSNBC didn't. Maybe because they think whatever Tucker's saying has got to be BS, and there's some serious truth to that. <laughs> but it turns out that on the ET issue, Tucker was, was telling truth. And I think what happened, because it's, it's a nonpartisan issue. He knew that he could get into this issue. It wasn't going to cause a problem for, for Fox viewers. This is not a Democrat or Republican issue. It's an uh -huh. utterly nonpartisan issue. And so he does it. And guess what? Tucker, who has always gotten his share of hate mail, started getting really positive emails and mail going, man, that, right on, guy. Thank you. We really appreciate that. You got some guts. And, and he's going, man, that's nice. It's nice to have people liking you and, and sending you nice things. And so he just really seized on it and is still in that issue. And that's great. But the other, he's very, almost no others have done this, which is very is unusual. But again, Tucker had his reasons for going at this hard. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of other people in the news, cable news world, universe, that are aware of the ET presence are certainly aware that UAP phenomena is totally real and very well could be ET. Uh, but they, again, for reasons only they know, I can only guess, they decided under the circumstances circa 2017, 18, 19, they did not want to go there. And they chose not to. Now, that's starting to change a little bit. And it will accelerate very quickly. You're going to see a lot of people jumping on the disclosure train before it leaves the station here over the next few months. Wow. Um, so with is the ET as far as the ETs are concerned, um, does the government know if they are um, friendly or hostile? If they were hostile and were committing destructive, hostile acts. Of course, the government would know. Um, now, hostile can mean a lot of things. <laughs> the government knows they're a potential threat. That is obvious. Interstellar beings <laughs> with technology hundreds or thousands of years ahead of ours are a potential threat. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's a given. <laughs> no. uh, are, do, it, do, when they create the crop circles, is that threatening? No. When they harvest materials from animals, typically cattle, but not that's not the only animal, is that a potential threat? It's 
it's in it's getting in that zone okay they're killing some ranchers animals and that's a threat to the ranchers well-being of course humans kill billions of animals every year so you don't want to get over excited about that um but when they contact humans privately covertly and engage them even to the point of removing them and engaging them elsewhere what is called the abduction phenomena i think any reasonable government will say that leans toward potential threat. It could even lean to threat, right? Uh, with respect to that individual, you could say, well, it's maybe you could say that is a threat to the individual. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean it's a threat to the nation. And the threat is made, it has to be mitigated by the fact that while they may take somebody, they bring them back. And generally, there are some instances where they have made a mistake. Generally, they always bring them back where they took them. I mean, they don't take you from a house in in uh, in uh, L.A. and return you to to a to a a, a uh, igloo in uh, Greenland. I mean, they they bring you back where you are. So that tends to mitigate how how you want to look at that. They turn off our nuclear weapons. That's definitely a potential threat. But then they we we are able to turn them back on. It is very complicated. So, but a lot of people who have engaged this issue in one way or another, who have government backgrounds or military backgrounds, generally speaking, and I, I'm, I'm aware of many, they don't see it as a threat. Even the nuclear weapons witness, tampering witnesses, they have concluded it's not a threat. Uh, and I think that basically isn't a threat in the, in the, the context that humans think of a threat. In other words, blow up a city, uh, attack your, your grid, cyber attacks, uh, bioweapons, uh, assassinations, things like that. Uh, I, I don't think they see that, but there are other ways they could be a threat that we might not fully understand. So potential threat is a legitimate place to be and it's absolutely essential to be in that place if you are going to agree to hearings, conduct hearings uh, uh, in, in the United States Congress or anywhere else. And that's okay. But the question will be, will th there will be those that want to run away with that. They want to look at the evidence and say, well, what you see is a potential threat. We see as a threat. And we have got to build up a massive anti extraterrestrial space force you know defense system or whatever the hell and it'll make take four or five trillion but hey we can't can't spare money spare expense when you and and and, and that that is something we'll deal with in the post-disclosure world and not mm -hmm. not in the pre-disclosure world so what do you think supposedly eisenhower had a treaty with the grays Supposedly. Supposedly, yeah. He, he met with that the Greys and, 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 and they made an agreement that they could abduct a certain amount of people and in return the Greys would give him or, or industries technology. Mm -hmm. that's, that's out there. I consider it in the myth. It's not a myth, but it's, it's, it's a theory, a intriguing theory. And like thousands of other theories, it's gotten... The theories go. It's not that bizarre there's a logic to it but has it been proven it is not we don't have documents we don't have any inside witnesses what we have is some evidence that may indicate that 
and 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 plus, and there's there's evidence that that there was a moment when Eisenhower could have gone and seen something. Okay, fine. And that has been blown up to, yeah, he went and saw ZTs, they sat down, worked out a deal, and then he heads back to Washington. No, no. He could have he could have gone to see a vehicle. He could have gone to see a dead body. He could have gone to see a live body. Hey, here's a live body. That's not the same thing as starting a treaty. So that, I don't give that a whole lot of emphasis or time, but as, 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 as it is with many things regarding this issue, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, if it turns out it's true, I'm mm -hmm. not going to be, oh, I'm shocked. No. Uh, do you think there's any credence to the story about Richard Nixon taking Jackie Gleason to meet the extraterrestrials? That's a pretty good story. That's a strong story. Now, that's been supported by a number of people. Jackie Gleason ultimately said it was true. His wife confirmed it. They told a number of people about it, including Leslie, I'm including uh, Shirley MacLaine. Uh, so I have pretty good confidence that is a true story. And there's almost no, there's no, it's very logical. It follows. It's not, it's not a stretch to believe that these people are telling the truth. Uh, the story completely coincide, co coincides with the relationship that Nixon had with Jackie Gleason. Gleason had a huge library. He was incredibly interested in the subject. He hung out with Jackie uh, with Nixon a lot, particularly in Florida, where Nixon, that, that was his vacation area. They played golf together. And so it's almost certain that Gleason let Nixon know about his interest in the subject. And so as his wife tells it, Jackie Gleason's wife, after a golf round one day, he called him later that night and said, look, I'm, gonna, I'm, coming, I'm coming to pick you up. And I, I, I need to take you somewhere. And according to the story, Nixon arrived driving the car. In other words, he didn't have Secret Service with him, right. which makes sense. Again, these are, these are small things, but they're non-trivial. You know, if he was going to take Jackie Gleason to go see an alien body on that, one of that air, the air base there, he wasn't going to have a couple of Secret Service guys along with him. That, that would have made it a much riskier maneuver. So he took him privately. I'm sure when they went to the gate, the guy at the gate must have coughed up a furball. Mr. President, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm just going to go in. I want to, Jackie and I are going to go get a milkshake at the, the PBX or whatever, PX. Uh, anyway, so I think that story is true. I think he, he showed it to him. And, and Jackie was always, that, that issue came up later in his life, and he was always very uncomfortable about it uh, and would not, would not talk, though we know that he did mention it. <laughs> Yeah, I have. I totally agree. What what really gets me about that story is that his wife also confirmed it because she apparently she reports that he was like really shaken up by he what he had up. seen. He was shaken up for days, and why wouldn't he be? Think about when that happened. It would have been an absolute. And he and, and I think remember he just didn't go see a photo. Nixon took him to see a body, and there were a lot of people got shook up in Roswell who saw the bodies there. I mean, it was. Uh, now it wouldn't. I don't think shake people up so much. I mean, I I wouldn't be shaken up. It, it, it's it's a lot of a lot of water's going under the bridge, but in '47 and the '70s, my God, yeah, uh, mm -hmm. it would have been quite an, an, an emotional experience to see. My God, we're not alone. Here is one of the the beings that that are out there. There are others. Uh, wow. And so, plus he was carrying the burden of that secret too. He knew I couldn't talk about this. And so that that's also kind of a problem. So he was affected by it. Yeah, it's, it's a, 
like the 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 existence I believe right now is a given. I think almost all of us believe that ETs have been here, that they exist. You know, I think the majority of us believe that now. Almost, almost, ninety plus percent of people in the developed world or the first world believe there's life out there, and in a significant yeah. portion of the entire planet believes there is life out there. That's no longer a it wasn't that long ago scientists were saying that, ah, probably there may not be any, or it's very rare. No. 95% of the people believe there is life out there somewhere. And that includes any kind of life, gerbils or mm-hmm. sentient being. Almost the same amount believe that there's intelligent life. I mean, it's just a little bit less. That the EUA, that the phenomena is real and not some sort of an illusion, that's a very high percentage. It's well above 50 that the phenomenon is extraterrestrial is under 50. It's in that 40% range. That's still a huge number. Uh-huh. Now, there hasn't been any recent polling. You know, they used to poll it a lot, but they haven't been polling it lately. It's time to do another major poll. The Ipsos, uh, the international polling operation, which is a big operation, they did a, you know, they did a world poll about 10 years ago, 36 countries. They didn't ask the questions I would have asked, but the key question they asked was, do you think ETs are living amongst us? And they came back with 20% of the world's population. That's one point, that was about 1.3 billion people. And the highest percentage was in India, of all places. 50% of the Indian people believe they're already living amongst us. Now, that may be part but, of your religion. Yeah, it makes sense because of the way, because it's in the Vedas. So, again, you know, the, the world is way, way ahead of this issue. Uh, in terms of awareness uh, and more than sufficient that the government should have already told us. We, we should already have this information and be digesting it and be dealing with it. We should have had it years ago, decades ago, I think. We should have had it in 93, 94, 95. And we could have. Uh, wrong president. If Bush, mm-hmm. if George H.W. Bush had won the election, uh, uh, Lawrence Rockefeller made it known that he was going to go to him too. He, gonna, he was a Democrat and a supporter of the DNC and, and, and supporter of Clinton, but, but he would have gone to see George H.W. Bush. And I believe it would have been a different outcome. I think we might have had disclosure under those circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Clinton was not the right president for the military intelligence complex. So, you know, that's how it works. Uh, but now it's time. So, yeah, the awareness level is extra. And, and, and on the extraterrestrial, just the idea of an extraterrestrial, whatever the language, it's almost 100%. You, you have to go to the deepest Amazon to find somebody that doesn't know what it means when you say extraterrestrial in their language, right? It's worldwide. Why? Because there have been hundreds, probably 300 to 350, 400 movies have been, now maybe even more. I'm talking about movies now, not documentaries, since 1951 with extraterrestrials in them. They've been seen by billions of people all over the world. The number one grossing movie in history, which is, Avengers Endgame is got extraterrestrials in it. The number two is Avatar. It's got extraterrestrials in it. I mean, and so the whole world knows the idea of extraterrestrial. So that's not going to be a shock. And pretty much the whole world knows what a UFO is. What does UFO mean? <laughs> they don't know about UAP because that's the new term and the correct term. But yeah. UFO, hell, 90% market penetration. So again, the truth embargo is almost silly now. And it's unwarranted. And it's now negative. It's not a positive at all, which is why what happened in, in 2017 happened. 
Do you think we're dealing with one species of ET or multiple species? Multiple. And you think they all have the same agenda or you think they have separate agendas? We don't know. Do you think the, 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 how about here on earth? Um, do you think they have places here on earth where they are staying like underground or beneath the ocean? The number of craft that are, have been in our airspace is a large number. And I, and, and I don't think the craft that we see in our airspace are even interstellar. So they have to have an operating base, a uh, bases. And there are only a few options. They can be based at various parts of the solar system, though not comfortably. They could have a massive artificial facility anywhere in the solar system, supposedly. Uh, the dark side of the moon, of course, would be ideal. At least it would have been absolutely ideal up until the point that we could orbit the moon. But to the extent that we have orbited the moon, we won't reveal what we find there, right? And if we were to find anything, it would be classified. So, uh, but the, the dark side of the moon is definitely a possibility. Uh, Mars, but you know, less convenient, uh, but more likely they have bases. And there's a lot of evidence for that. Uh, they have bases on which they operate and these bases are unreachable. Uh, they uh they're they're likely under the seabed so if you're i don't know if you're a thousand feet under the ocean and the ocean is six thousand feet above you or fifteen thousand feet above you i assure you no one is going to surprise you with a with a cake you know <laughs> knock on your door with a cake yeah i brought a nice cake you know uh or if you're under a mountain not just in the side of a mountain under a mountain i think if there are bases that's where they are and there's evidence pointing in that direction, but has it been proven? No, because we cannot get to those facilities. Or if we have, that has not been revealed. So I, I totally agree. Um, one is I've interviewed somebody who's been at the base in... Um, Dulce? Antarctica. Oh, Antarctica. He went there one. with Admiral Byrd. And I've actually also communicated with Admiral Byrd's daughter, a granddaughter, too, about it. Really? Yeah. Really? And um, I've also, um, That's I also have a, and actually I have a personal friend who works at Alltech and, and he has sent me a video of some really unusual UFOs that he's seen out there. And then all of a sudden he's just sort of dropped off the map. When and, did you in interact with this fellow that went with Bird to the Arctic? And, hmm? Antarctic? I have some um, podcasts with him. So this is recent? Yeah, yeah. I just talked to him the other day. So he's got to be what, his late 80s? Yeah, yeah, he's old. Okay, and so he was there, and did yes. he confirm? Him, Admiral Byrd, and believe it or not, Edgar Mitchell. Uh, Edgar Mitchell was went to the Antarctic yes. with Byrd? Yes. Well, no, he never told anybody that. Yeah, he was there. I mean, I know a lot of people that know appar him, appar Apparently, Byrd and Mitchell are the only ones that went to the lowest part of the base. Okay, well, this is this is interesting. Um, I I note it. Uh, that's about all I can do. Um, and uh, the granddaughter, what did she have to say? She, I haven't really had a chance to really sit down and talk with her, but I do have her phone number, and I've been trying to hook up an interview with her. Okay, and to, the, and to the try to get to the went, bottom of it. The fellow that went with Bird to Antarctic did he did he confirm some sort of UAPs engaging the ship? He confirmed some things to me in private. Uh, and he's wait, still alive. Wait, yeah. What he confirmed to me in public 
was two things. One was a top level where there was a lot of uh, Nazi paraphernalia that they found. And then, and then there was a lower level after that where they found some Viking relics. And then after that, there was a, a, a pit. And he had no f- I, he had no idea how deep the pit was. He didn't go to the bottom of it. Right. But, but Bird and Mitchell did go down. Okay, so we don't. So, 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 so that's that's why he he's told me publicly. publicly. So he may have he may have referred to ETs privately, but you can't talk about it. The fact that there's Nazi stuff down, and we know the Nazis went down there. There's no shock there. Viking relics. That's interesting because you know the Antarctic is a long way from Scandinavia, but maybe they look like whatever. So that that's interesting. Uh, and of course, Linda Moulton Howe has got some witnesses to come forward. Look, the Antarctic clearly would be a logical place to put a base. Uh, again, it, you weren't going to get any intruders, particularly if it was buried enough. So it wouldn't surprise me if there was an ET base there. Uh, could there have been an ET base back in during the time of World War II? Yeah. Uh, could the Nazis have learned about it? Maybe. Uh, so... All of that is not illogical. However, what has happened, you know, constantly happening, is that the things that we sort of know have people just can't resist. They just conflate it up into very, mm-hmm. how would you say, complex stories, all kinds of exotic aspects to it. And I get it; it's human nature. Uh-huh. But uh, it, it it doesn't. It's not helpful to the political activism i can assure you right. i just don't have the luxury of dealing with uh, interesting conjectures mm-hmm. if it's not established as proof or pretty close to being established i can't right. i can't really deal with it directly i but I, I can speculate along with the rest but i have to separate that out so mm-hmm. do i think we have confirmed an et base in the antarctic not publicly do i think it's possible yes right do I and I think if there is, we will know about that post disclosure. We will learn the details about the basis. I hope so. You know, like, like me, it's just because I've talked to these people personally and and you know heard their stories and you know it's is that Darcy? No, I'm just checking to see if he's in a text or something. Yeah, I and, know, and, and also Zoe, so you mentioned the dark side of the moon and. This is another person that I, I haven't done a podcast with him, but I talked to him, God, I started talking to him over 20 years ago, which was John Lear. Yeah. And he had started talking about the bases on the moon and, and showing some pictures of what he thought were pictures of the bases on the moon. Um, but his... Some of his stuff was a little bit way out there. You think? Yeah. Sometimes I wonder, <laughs> you know, if he's putting out like like I think he knows something, you know. I th- yeah. I th- but I also think that that he puts out disinformation as well. He's a complex guy and quite a character. Um, uh, he's put out <laughs> enough crazy stuff that that there'd be no way to know what what was real and what was, and and that may be deliberate. Uh, so again. I, Lear is a perfect example of somebody that I, that is no use to me, and I'm not I'm not saying that in a pejorative sense. Mm-hmm. I'm simply saying that the way the way he has dealt with information, what he has put out there, is that I can't deal with that. 
right? Uh, so, but he, he probably didn't, he doesn't care if, if I deal with it or not. I mean, irrelevant. It's what he <laughs> wants to do. He has fun with it. And that's cool. But one of the, one of the, as an activist movement, this movement has been just extraordinary in so many ways. There's I mean, no movement quite like it. And trying to pursue activism and, and get to a final goal and outcome in this field has been really complicated. It is tough. Uh, it's not violent. You know, believe mm -hmm. me, there's, 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 there's activism far more dangerous, I can assure you, and painful and, and arduous and so forth. So I'm not complaining. But complicated, unusual, yeah, that it is. So it's frustrating because it's, it's, like, it's like a hill that you need to climb. And if you climb to the top of the hill, you get, you get the outcome you want. And so you start to climb the hill, but for some reason, it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. It's like not a, it's not a mountain, it's just a hill. It's not that high. You're walking up it and you just, you can just go in so slow and because of, I don't know, some gravitational effect or something. And so it's, it's an illusion like that. So it's like you, you, you have to walk up, you spend decades walking up that hill and you're thinking, I should have been up this hill 15 years ago. It's kind of like that. So it doesn't look arduous, but it is arduous. Uh -huh. uh, but I have no complaints. Believe me, I, I'm not complaining. I'm, I, I'm very gift. It's been a huge gift that I was able to get involved in this. Right. So, so up, you know, so, so we've gone, we, we've gone from, from all these rumors and stories from, from, from you know, 1947 through some of the characters that, that bring us up to the more recent disclosure, you know, which is happening with two stars Academy with Chris Mellon, Louis Alessandro. Right. Um, what changed? What brought, what brought them out? Like, like, like was, like, like when I hear listen to Louis Alessandro talk, and know that knowing too that he's still involved in some way with ATIP, too. Um, you know, I I do think that the government wanted him, chose him to be the guy to come out with that information. Do you we think I'm know. wrong there, or you think I'm uh, right? Well, I think it's you know it's a non not an unreasonable speculation, but the fact is is that they cannot talk about the origin story. They just can't, and they don't. They, a little bit. I mean, Lou says that he, he got totally frustrated with the fact that they weren't engaging the issue, which has been the case for 70 years. So he sent a resignation letter to Mattis. I, I don't uh, question that. And then he resigned. And all this happened shortly before the, the To The Stars announced. So in other words, he was one of the last, may have been the last person to the party. That doesn't mean he didn't know about the TTSA long before, but he didn't actually separate out and go with the TTSA according to his account. And that's that's a little bit of the origin story, but that's mm -hmm. nothing. That The full origin story of this is not known. When the discussions begin, who was, who was talking to who? What we do know is that it, it, it was taking place inside the military intelligence complex. Uh, DeLong confirmed that. He made it quite clear to George Knapp in March of 2016, without getting into names, without getting naming what the project was or giving a specific time, that something big was going down. He was meeting with people inside the Pentagon, CIA, NASA, okay, which astounded me, and that there was something big in the works. They were going to do this and that, including publish some books. I'm going, okay. Uh, 
but nevertheless, it was hard for me to accept what DeLong told to George Knapp that night in a four-hour interview. Why? A month later, that book, one of the books he was talking about got published. Uh -huh. And I said, well, I guess it's true. And then I'm going, okay, this is a big deal. What's happening? So we know that it was being talked about and discussed and that DeLong was talking to some of the people. Uh, does that mean that they had no intention to do this until Tom showed up? I have little confidence in that. I think that's absolutely not the case. I think that this had been under discussion for a while. And when Tom showed up, it just turned out that he, they were thinking. He was convenient. Yeah. So we know it starts within the military intelligence complex, probably the DOD. All right. So it starts in there. What does that mean? It, 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 to, to boil it down as, as simple as possible, it means that some people inside the DOD, and I'm not talking. I'm talking about some people that are, have some clout. They're not. They're not just low-end mm -hmm. officers, lieutenant colonels sitting around with nothing to do in the cafeteria. Some people, substantive people inside the, the DOD, started to come to a conclusion that it may be time for the military intelligence complex to facilitate the disclosure process. In other words, get on board the disclosure train, join the public. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, have, I have confidence that that, I, I really feel strongly that's what was going through their mind. Okay, fine. But how? How do you do that? Right. So, that's a, and that's a real problem. Uh, you, you, you don't start leaking classified documents. Hell, you don't start leaking unclassified documents. You don't go to the New York Times or meet with a Washington Post reporter in a garage in Roslyn, Virginia. I mean, you, any of that would be illegal, career destroying, uh, really a bad deal. And maybe one lone person might do something like that, but a group of people trying to think about how they can facilitate this, different matter. So that is the problem they needed to solve. So, but before I go there, when I talk about when I, when I talk about the importance of the, the, the To the Stars Academy and its launch, which I recognized immediately, but many did not. I mean, most people would not have figured this out. What we, what, when the To the Stars Academy launched, what we learned in that instant was that, in fact, a sufficient number of people and a sufficient amount of support for taking proactive action uh, against the truth embargo, uh, had amassed inside the Pentagon and possibly some other agencies. And what does sufficient mean? It means sufficient enough that those opposed to taking any such action couldn't block it. How high it went, we don't know. How mm -hmm. many people are involved, we don't know. Their positions, we don't know. All we know is that it didn't get blocked. All right? And once it was out, it didn't get pulled back. It wasn't even attacked. What we did learn is that when the announcement was made, there was a lot of confusion in the government about that. Uh, and the DOD was the worst example. Uh, the DOD was immediately approached by various people asking about this and that and so forth that the TTSA had come out with and were talking about, though most of these this contact, I think really a lot of it took place after the New York Times articles. And the, and the, and the Department of Defense was saying, I, I 
he didn't work for that. I, I, we don't have any record of that. We know what's going on. And, and, and that, of course, created a lot of hubbub on the net. And people jumped all up. Ah, it's all phony. It's all whatever. What we really learned is totally logical. That the, te- the, the, the people, the men and women inside the military intelligence complex that decided to make this extremely bold and somewhat dangerous maneuver did not send out an email to all of the agencies and services giving them advance notice that we were going to do this on such and such a day or announcing the To the Stars Academy and its, and, and its mission statement and all that good stuff. They didn't do that. I am positive because if they had done that, all kinds of, of uh, pushback would have occurred and people within the military intelligence complex opposed to it would have let their their opposition be known and probably would have shut the whole thing down. They had to simply do it. And so the Pentagon wasn't informed. And so the Pentagon's public relations office was, they didn't have, they didn't have information. And so they're, and they're, they're, they're up against the wall. And, and so they're, they're saying things that ended up proving to be false. I don't blame them for that. They were not informed. And I'm sure there was a lot of consternation throughout the entire military intelligence complex. Mm-hmm. What in the hell is going on? However, while there might have been consternation, there have always been a non-trivial amount number of people working in our services, working in our intelligence agencies, who personally believe that the public should know this, should have known it years ago. And, and as you go back in time, I think there were all, all the way back to Roswell. I'm sure there were people inside the government that their view was such that the people should know. However, their numbers were small. As time grew, their numbers grew. And so when this happened, I assure you, there were plenty of people within the military and shells complex, and we're talking about tens of thousands of people who said, good, I, I like that, that's great. I think that's a good idea. Now I'm not gonna rush to my boss and say, hey, I think that's a great idea, but they were going, okay. And maybe they chatted amongst themselves at lunch and things like that, but there would have been, how would you say, private support in a way, or at least goodwill about this issue throughout the military intelligence complex. All right, so so far so good. But then when they do the New York Times articles, then things accelerate. So we don't know the origin story. I hope to God we do. I, I, I hope that post-disclosure, the people that created this will come forward mm-hmm. and that the two the stars academy people there's now about 15 alumni will be forthright here's here's how it came about this is history of the highest level this can't get buried the historians and and the future generations need to know what brought this event about who was involved what was their thinking it would be a, a tragedy I, I feel that that will probably happen but it, it, you're not going to hear the origin story is not coming out until after disclosure. I guarantee you that. Hmm. So well, <clears throat> one of the things, one of the people that I've interviewed said to me, I had asked the question about the UFOs always appearing. Like, like we're, one of the discussions was mass sightings about UFOs. And it seems like the ETs themselves are trying to disclose themselves to us without even the government knowing about it 
or, or having any control over the disclosure? Well, that is, uh, to be honest with you, that is a, a logical conclusion that you could come to. Um, uh, let's, let's, I've asked this question a lot, so let's, let's parse it, um, Gary. Um, the, the ETs r ramped up their engagement of the planet in 47. There's no question about that. Prior to 47, there were some events and Foo Fighters, things like that. But after 47, it was like the party began. And everyone started arriving. So it was a big deal. We believe it was directly connected to the nuclear weapons test and, and the bombing in, in Japan. This was like a, how would you say, a trigger event mm -hmm. uh, that necessitated a change of, uh, a change in the um, uh, rules of engagement. So, but what we do know in the last 70 years is the ETs have been quite uh, available. We see them, we film them, we photograph them, we film them, well, and we film them uh, in infrared, uh, we film them from defensive chase planes, intercepts. Uh, they, they take animals and then leave the animal behind with no explanation of how it happened. We, the government has never yet come out with an explanation for animal harvesting because they, they, the only explanation is extraterrestrials and they can't, they can't give you that explanation. Uh, they put crop circles down in the field. So they are clear and, and they turn off our nuclear weapons. I mean, they, they've gone to, they've done a lot of things which any reasonable person would conclude uh, advances the public awareness and the government's awareness of their existence and obviously is going to lead somewhere. Yeah, it's like they're working around the government. Right. So is that part of the agenda? In other words, is that intentional or is it simply a side effect of them going about their business? Um, I think it's intentional. Um, the U.S. is working on some pretty advanced cloaking technology. We're almost there. Uh, I invite people, your listeners to check it out. But it won't be that much longer before we'll be able to do what they did in that James Bond movie and the car just disappears. Uh, we're very close to that. ETs are many, many years ahead of us. So could they cloak these saucers? I'm pretty sure they could. And I think they do. But obviously they don't all the time. So they choose not to cloak when they could. That's, that's important. Uh, so I have concluded that as they go about their business, and they have business here. I mean, they're just not visiting and showing off. They have business here. And as they go about their business, they are deliberately allowing themselves to be seen up to a point. And of course, this, and of course, when you're talking about personal contact, individual contact, uh, we know that they block memories. So obviously, they're trying to conceal. But we also know those memories are coming out. Mm -hmm. And they don't seem to be inter inter interfering there. Uh, uh, so these memories are coming out. So, and they probably knew that. They probably knew that while they can block memories, and that tends to make it a little easier for them to deal with somebody, say, throughout their lifetime. When the memories come out, hey, it just it happens. And, I, and apparently they're not concerned about that. Though the contactee phenomena, which is now massive, with hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, of accounts being submitted, to, to researchers and hundreds of them being written up 
even in documentaries, uh, they're not too concerned what that's going to happen. So I believe the ETs are helping to advance disclosure, not by threatening us, not by threatening the government, but by simply the way they go about their business. Mm -hmm. And uh, clearly it's made it easier for the activist movement to do what we do. I mean, the, the, the obvious, their obvious presence is, was always been tough for the government to ignore. It's a classic example of the emperor's new clothes. It's the reverse case though, right? The emperor's new clothes, uh, you were supposed to believe the emperor had clothes, but in fact he was naked uh, in, uh, uh, in the ET thing. You're supposed to believe that there's no ETs here when in fact there are. So th this, this agenda, I believe, as I interpret it, is they want us to disclose. They, they're, they're more than comfortable for us to disclose. Uh, and confirm their presence, not as an ancient civilization in, in, in uh, Asia or Middle East, who cares, but as a global civilization with mass global communication, which means that once we disclose, 98% of every living person on the planet will know within a week. And of course, we have high technology. So disclosure now totally is totally different than anything comparable in ancient times, just mm -hmm. not even the same thing. So they want that, right? which makes sense. I can see why they want it. And so that's what I, that's my answer to your question. I happen to think, but why do they want disclosure? That's why the next, would that's they the want question. <laughs> yes. Why? What does it matter to them that we acknowledge their existence, right. if they're able to do what they do without any interference with us, which we can't, that's, well, I, I think I know the answer to that. I believe the answer is clear. They want disclosure because it's followed by open contact. And open contact without disclosure would be, dis would be disruptive. It would be inappropriate. It would be bad form. It would be rude, pick a, pick a word. But after disclosure, it would be perhaps even anticlimactic. Now I'm not talking about the day after. A year or two after disclosure, I assure you the entire world would be more than ready for open contact. I believe that's why they have pushed disclosure on us. Mm -hmm. Which brings us to the question, okay, why do they want open contact? <laughs> Simply that, so they can show off? Simply so they can get maybe recognition on, on Instagram? And what, why, why <laughs> open contact? Well, I have my own theory about that. To me, it's totally logical, but could be wrong. They want open contact so they can engage us for specific reasons. And the reason? What are the reasons? Oh, there could be, an, there's an infinite number of possibilities. But they're going through a hell of a lot of trouble here, and this is a pretty big deal. So forget all the minor reasons. Just throw them all to the side. What would be the major reasons, very, very significant reasons to support this process, which is now 74 years on? Their survival, most of them how depend on it. Uh, well, there, there are a few that come to mind. Uh, one of the reasons, which is major, is that any reasonable observer of, the, of human civilization in the 20th century would conclude that based upon population growth, weapons advancements, and geopolitical relations, uh, 
racism, bigotry, ethnocentricity, and so forth, the human race was in grave danger of pretty much sending itself back to the Stone Age. In other words, just ruining it all, blowing it all up. Uh, and nuclear weapons, of course, would be the, the principal threat. Yes. And so if they felt that our having a nuclear war would be just incredibly wasteful and destructive and might even interfere with their engagement with us, meaning they have, they have reasons why they engage us and that would ruin it, that they needed to intercede. Okay. Okay. So interceding in order to prevent us from having a nuclear war is a major reason. Also, if we're doing enormous damage to the environment and they know from their own experience, or they just know that that's not going to go well, then they might need to intercede. Okay. That's legitimate. That makes sense. Now, is there a third one? Oh, there is a third one. <clears throat> and it's the most logical of them all. It's so obvious, I can't believe anybody would, would argue against it. And it's simple. If you are an interstellar civilization from a home planet, doesn't mean you haven't got a colony or two, but there was a home planet where you developed, just like us. We're not special. Almost everything happening here is not special or unique. So and you're from a home planet, and ultimately you do advance to a point where you have extraordinary technology, including interstellar travel, and you can work around relativity and travel in modest amounts of time between solar systems. And you're going to go out in the universe and you're going to, you're going to explore, you're going to learn, you're going to discover, which is exactly what we would do. If humans develop interstellar travel, you think we're going to say, yeah, but we, we're not going to use it. We can't go anywhere. It, it's too risky. We're not going anywhere. Uh, that's absurd. Okay, so you're out and you discover worlds, just like in Star Trek. You discover worlds with life, running a gambit from primitive to primitive basic life to uh, life with sentient beings, but very early, crude, like humans 200,000 years ago, up to advanced civilization. No, no big deal, all cool, all interesting. But then you come across a civilization similar to Earth that has advanced to the point where it is developed nuclear weapons, which by and large is the first really danger, truly dangerous weapons that I think almost any advanced society would come across first. It's hard to imagine getting to antimatter before you get to fission or fusion. It's just pretty, you know, these are the laws of the universe which apply everywhere. So, you, and, they, and, and they've got bombs. They're, they're building nuclear bombs. Okay, all right. Are they a threat to you? No, they're not. They can drop all the friggin' bombs they want, and they have. It's not a problem for us. Other, other than that, it may be disrupting our work here. You know, Obviously, there may be contactees that are going off to war and getting killed, but overall, is it a serious? It is not. But then you are able to calculate from your own experience that... We're not only have we developed nuclear weapons, but our physics is advancing at a pace where in a relatively short amount of time, we are going to figure out the workaround relativity so that we can build interstellar craft as well. Maybe not as slick as theirs, maybe a crude, but capable of going from star to star in reasonable amounts of time, which they can already do. Okay, now what does that mean? Hell. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? 
if you encounter a civilization that has nuclear weapons and is about to develop starships, and you you can easily assess that the the the, the nature of the, the these uh, these people is such that well they're not going to fly off into the galaxy and and not be carrying weapons just to be safe. In other words, open carry. The galaxy surely is open carry, right? And so. Does that make us a threat? You bet it does. Absolutely. The day that any civilization is able to build an interstellar craft and has nuclear weapons, they are instantly a threat to every other civilization out there that they might encounter. And so, and that's that's just no brainer, right? It's not complicated. In, in, in our ancient past, we've seen it over and over again. Europeans show up in South America with better weapons and a few of them kill off virtually the entire population. Well, there's also the diseases. And, and this has happened a number of times. And there wasn't much that the Aztecs could do about it or the Indians could do about it. Uh, or the you know, Native Americans in the North and other, other cultures. But the ETs are not other civilizations. The ETs are interplanetary beings. And so they have a lot they can do about it. They're not the Aztecs dealing with Cortez. And so what do you do? And, and the earth would do exactly the same thing. There is no doubt in my mind that we would take exactly the same course. You simply cannot allow that civilization to put those bombs on an interstellar craft and fly away. It can't happen, period. Not, not even once. Oh, well, how do you stop it? Well, I mean, you could destroy the planet, which they could easily do. Just destroy it. There's nothing left. Okay, problem solved. But that would be a little, well, old school, <laughs> a little destructive. So you don't do that. Okay, well, you could, you could take it over, literally. Take it over uh, and run the place, right? Enslave all the humans and run the place and just uh, do away with those programs that are a threat to you. Who in their right mind would want to manage the human race? I mean, I can't, even, I can't think of any civilization dumb enough that they would go, yeah, we want to manage the human race. Uh, be the worst job in the galaxy. So what are your options? <laughs> well, actually, the options are pretty straightforward. It's really not a difficult, difficult solution. What do you do? Well, first, you engage you help the disclosure process along while you conduct your affairs. You might give some warnings to, you know, throw in a little, throw in some trailers as it were, like the nuclear weapons tampering is like a trailer to the main movie. Mm -hmm. you, you, you give messages to contactees, which point in the direction that you're going, but not explicitly. And eventually disclosure happens. Disclosure opens the door to open contact. Meaning in two years, roughly, I think two years is a good, good number. You now, because they're not, they're, they can't wait. I mean, again, remember, we're, we're moving towards interstellar craft. I mean, they could wait. I mean, some, I mean, they, they can monitor us. They kind of know if we're going to build those craft. But I don't think they would want to wait too long. And so you, you have open contact. Now, what is open contact? Obviously, covert contact has been taking place for quite a while. So there's contact. I'm talking open contact. That's when ETs are engaging governments openly. Mm-hmm. And we're talking to, they're talking to our leaders and they're talking to other nations and we are getting a record of those engagements. That's open contact. Okay, fine. 
And then what do you do with open contact? Now that you've got open contact, now that you're past that, you're past disclosure, open contact, the idea of your existence is not driving people insane. They're not running around in circles. Now it's time to get down to the nitty gritty. And what is the nitty gritty, I think? The ETs are going to inform our, and this is, this is where you get to a much nicer version of the day the earth stood still. Both movies, either one, doesn't matter. Here's the message they're going to give us in open contact a year or two after disclosure. You can't bring nuclear weapons into the galaxy. But you are, you, you are going to soon have the technology to, whether we provide it or not, to build interstellar craft and become part of a, a, larger, a larger reality. But you can't bring the nukes. And so we're here to inform you that if you want to be engaged with us, if you want to be engaged with us off planet, if you want to develop interstellar travel, you have to get rid of the nukes, all of the nukes, every one of them. And when you have done that, then you can move forward with interstellar technology. We may even assist. And we may, then there may be other ways we can engage you. We are in an alliance with each other. There is a number of groups, we're in alliance. And so the idea of you being part of that alliance is not uh, illogical. Maybe a junior member, junior partner. So you can be in alliance with us. There's some technology sharing. I mean, technology that we could provide. We can make your lives a lot better. There's a lot of good that could come from this if you're willing to go along with it. And you've got one fundamental decision to make. We're not asking you to switch political parties or take up another religion. We're not asking you to wear your underwear on the outside of your clothes. We're simply saying you have to get rid of the nukes. You get rid of the nukes, you can have interstellar drive and deal with us. That is where I believe this has been heading all along. Now, we'd make a nice novel. And if I, my attention span was longer than 15 seconds, I might write that novel. But, uh, and, but it's, it's not an unrealistic line. And if you, if, you, if you swap human beings for the extraterrestrials and put us in those starships, engaging other planets and we came a planet came across a planet like ours that was on the verge of interstellar drive and, and was and, and was building nuclear weapons by the tens of thousands and dropping them on each other there is no way we let them come out in our direction to come out from their planet with those nukes on a starship we would do exactly the same thing i think it's so obvious it's just compelling now that is a that is this crisp a summation of I think right. the the reasons and agenda that I can provide, and of course I'm looking forward to finding out how how much of it is 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 true. It definitely has something to do with the nukes. So many other people that I've spoken to have proposed like similar theories. Uh, one of them was that the extraterrestrials actually are not interstellar; they're from our own solar system, and if we blow up our own planet, it's going to interfere with, with the entire solar system. And I give that a one-tenth of one percent chance. <laughs> the odds, not not good. Not lottery yeah. odds, but pretty bad odds. Mm -hmm. But it's a similar thing. You know, it, it comes down to the nukes, the weapons. Yes, it always comes down to the nukes. That is the threshold. But, but, but asking humans to give up their nukes. Hey, 
We don't have to. I mean, we, we could say, screw you. Yeah, I think that's what You're we're going to tell us what to do with our news. <laughs> what do you think would happen? Do you think we would I do that? I think they would say, I, it, it, well, the, the proper response from them would be, okay, but if you build a starship, <laughs> we're going to blow it up. Build another, we'll blow that up. We'll blow them all up. I mean, you, you will not get a starship together. Uh -huh. And you can maybe try to do it in secret, but you'll be wasting your time. And it's also the case that they could melt every nuke we have down. I mean, they turn them off, but they could also melt them down. I mean, we, they could destroy the nukes, but that's, I mean, that's not the best way to get off to a good start. It, they're looking for, I, I hope they're looking for a mature relationship, right? right? We don't want to destroy your nukes. We want you to do it because that will show us and each other, yourselves, that you finally understood what we've been trying to tell you is that these are insane. You, you have to be insane to have these. All right. So, um, but what, that, that's what it comes down to. And, and if we don't, then they will make sure we never leave the planet with them. Uh, and there's other things they could do, I mean, to get their point across, but I think that's enough. All right. I mean, again, you don't want to be killing humans or threatening, you know, destroying anything in order to make your point. Because now, you again, I'm trying. It's important to be as limited as possible with your anthropomorphism uh -huh. when dealing with ETs. You just can't think that they think like us. That they're that you, know, you you it's you try not to do it. I mean, you obviously right. can't not avoid it, but. Uh, their idea that they're as violent as us, the idea that they, they believe in zero-sum games like we do, the idea there has to be a win and a loser, the idea that destroying things to get something else makes sense. There's no reason why they, they think that way. Right. And a lot of reasons why they don't. But we do, unfortunately. And we do. Like our, I mean, our, our, logic, our logic would be like, well, it's definitely nobody having nukes in interstellar travel. Well, we would just rather have everybody have nukes in our travel. I mean, that's like yeah, our same logic with guns, you know? And that could happen. I mean, that's where we were going. If we, and this is, I mean, it's worth noting that the universe is big, all right? Galaxies are big. And there's, there's rogue planets that are, there are rogue suns, rogue solar systems that have been thrown out of galaxies that are literally roaming through space mm -hmm. between galaxies, believe it or not. And if you have a solar system, meaning a sun with orbiting planets, and uh, they're moving in open space, that's probably fine. Uh, there may be some reasons why it's not. I, I'm not sure what they are, but you know, it's, uh, galaxy structure and galaxy effects are complicated. But technically, if, 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 if it doesn't have to be orbiting in a galaxy. It could be, be traveling through space as long as the orbits are stable and, the, and, and, it's, all, and it's a Goldilocks zone. So you can have a planet just out of nowhere, just in the boonies, that develops nuclear weapons and interstellar drive, and no one had ever came across it. It had not been discovered. Uh, and off they go. And they turn up one day and decide that they don't like the color of your, your jib, and uh, they fire a few nukes. That could happen. Uh, and I wouldn't rule it out, which is why we should never assume that the galaxy is completely safe. I mean, it's definitely not safe from the standpoint of physics. There's so many ways the universe can kill you. But I mean, it's safe in terms of sentient beings. Are there Borg out there? There could be. That's not an unreasonable conclusion at all. However, the one thing that would protect 
non-destructive civilizations from a destructive civilizations would be alliances. In other words, five, six, seven, eight mm -hmm. advanced civilizations that are non-destructive but have great technology essentially protect against the rogue civilization. Now, if a vast alliance of vicious civilizations out there get together, well, it could be the Wild West. But uh, the fact that the ETs are here at all, the fact that they don't seem to be nonviolent, I mean violent, indicates that they've survived. So whatever's going on out there, it may not be as destructive as we would expect it to be based upon our human experience. We're only uh, 50, 70 years from the last world war. It's one lifespan. So it's not easy for us to think beyond nuclear weapons, think beyond wars of any kind. It's hard for us to think about a planet in which everybody has everything they need, where to some of these ETs, that may be a given. It may be, well, you would have it any other way. So we have a lot to learn about what's possible in this galaxy. And right now, the number one barrier between us and learning that is the government policy of the United States and its allies towards the issue which I have called the truth embargo. Mm -hmm. And so our total pos prospects for advancement is uh, blocked by that embargo. And so, you know, I, I hope everybody, as many people as possible get that. And then hundreds of millions of people rise up and say, it's time to end it and support the advocacy movement, the disclosure advocacy movement. It's only the biggest issue in the world, biggest issue in human history with the implications so staggering, it'll take 10,000 books to write them down. But again, the government has succeeded in persuading a lot of people to just don't go there. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it's huge, it's big, don't go there. Focus on other stuff, right? Uh, there's a million little things wrong, go focus on that, but leave us alone on this one. Well, what can I say? 70, I mean, 24 years on, I am the only registered lobbyist on this issue active. There is one other lobbyist that signed up about two years ago, but this person uh -huh. is not active. So I'm still basically the only registered lobbyist on this issue in town. 24 years after, you know, 24 years on, and then and, and, uh, uh, 28 years since Rockefeller Initiative. Uh -huh. uh, so again, the government has done a very good job in convincing people, eh, no, don't go there. Eh, it's, 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 it's very complicated. There's other stuff to, to engage. Uh, hey, I'm not buying it. And uh, I know that more people will be joining me soon. Have you talked to any politicians that you've lobbied that are actually interested in disclosure? And could you I've tell me who some staffers. of them are? Uh, I don't have the gravitas to get in front of actual Congress people. Mm -hmm. And I'm not somebody that goes and buttons holes people and runs up to them. I mean, I've done it with some journalists, but certainly not with politicians. I'm not going to go hunt them down, right, and stalk them. Uh, most of my lobbying is the media, and I've lobbied the hell out of the media. And I've talked to staffers, but by and large, when you talk to people, uh, they, 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 they listen, they do not ridicule, but they don't say anything. They don't reveal. They can't reveal, all right? Which is why uh, what has happened recently is so important. In the last two years, Chris Mellon 
principally Chris Mellon, mm -hmm. has arranged meetings on Capitol Hill with members of Congress, particularly committee chairs. Why didn't I do that? Well, that's because I didn't have a 30-year career, uh, including being the assistant secretary of uh, uh, assistant secretary, uh, assistant deputy secretary of defense for intelligence. Right. I didn't, I didn't work in the intelligence industry. I didn't have you know, big positions up on the Hill. I, I'm, I'm just a poor political activist. He has an extraordinary career. He's an extraordinary man. So he was able to arrange those meetings. He brought witnesses to talk to them, but these meetings were private. And because he was who he is, they could trust him. Me as the renegade pop, you know, populist activist, you know, I could tell some member of Congress, I want to talk to you, but I promise I'm not going to say anything. They're not going to trust me. Yeah. They're just not. But Mellon, they could trust. And so those meetings were held and they were private. They have not been outed. There's been no transcripts. There's no interviews with the press. There have been some people that have talked, said that they were, they were briefed by, by some of these witnesses. That's fine. But they haven't revealed what they were told by and all. That's because, and, and, but that's because they could trust Mellon and, and uh, it's all gone fine. So uh, they're doing what I can't do, but I get it. I like to feel that myself and many other colleagues of mine, thousands of people have helped pave the way mm -hmm. for the circumstance where Mellon could go on the Hill, where the, the people inside the Pentagon could decide, hey, let's create this organization the, the, uh, as, a, as a surrogate uh, proxy organization to engage the, uh, the issue, because we can't. I would like to think that everyone that's come before helped make that happen. But, you know, that's like, that's like the, the uh, quarterback, right, who hands the ball off to the running back, and the running back makes the touchdown. The running back is the one that spikes the ball and holds up the Super Bowl trophy. Well, maybe the quarterback. Mm -hmm. The point is, is that that's different. And that's when I learned that that was going on, and when I learned that the president also got one of those briefings, that's when I said, okay, game on relocated from Los Angeles back to Washington, got a place, got an office, set up the studio, anticipating very significant things were going to happen. Are, are you meaning uh, President Biden or are you talking about President Trump? Oh, uh, well, th this was in 19. So when I came back, I knew things were happening. I still didn't believe that uh, things would unfold under Trump, but uh, that I still, you know, uh, the, the year I would, I would you know, it was going to take time to do what I need to do, get set up and other things. And so I, I, there was plenty I could do. In other words, I made the commitment. I had a plan. I had a path again for the first time. Uh, now the COVID thing really undercut that. I didn't accomplish nearly as much as I could have, but I, I, I did enough. I'm ready. Uh, so uh, that's what triggered that. And, uh, Eventually, uh, I concluded that, yes, the whole the plan is to hold the hearings, particularly if the government changes. It did. So these hearings are going to happen. And the number one, I think they and they need to happen soon. They need to be early. And, and I'll be making that case repeatedly uh, in the media. But uh, uh, there is the one thing that I think now uh, impacts the timing is the COVID status. Okay. Primarily the vaccines and the transients. Uh, a while back, it looked pretty good. And I'm thinking these, these hearings could start in February. But then uh, the vaccine schedule was not unfolding that fast. And then the variants turned up. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we're still in the, we're still in the deep, deep doo-doo uh, for another couple months for sure. 
Do you think some uh, of that could have been done on purpose? The stalling of getting rid of COVID and coming out with the vaccines and um, get you know, no, it was incompetence. It and, was just incompetence. And it wasn't, also, you know, like the, the, the chaos with the, the government and the other administration. Well, it was done in purpose in the sense that the people that were doing it were doing it purposefully. But uh, it, it you don't think it had anything agendas. to stall the uh, disclosure process no, on purpose? No, no. I understand that people that are hyped on this issue like to think that everything is about this issue, and that's not the case. It's a big world. It's a lot going on now. It's nothing to do with disclosure. It had the effect of doing that, but that's mm -hmm. not why it happened. Uh, and that's history. It happens all the time. History, I use this analogy. History is to activism mm -hmm. as hurricanes, typhoons are to seafaring explorers, right? You set off on a journey to get somewhere. You want to go and explore the Antarctic. You want to see if there's a new world and you head off and if everything goes well, you could be there in two months. But if a storm comes up, it might take you six months or you might just get sunk at sea. And that's the way history is to activism. You, you got a goal, you know where you're going and you get going and then all of a sudden history, something pops up, something happens. It just makes everything difficult and even sinks your whole effort that that is the that is the the bane of the activist uh life the path you take there uh one of the the, the most uh i think well-known instances of this was india india was moving towards uh independence it was putting enormous pressure on the british and uh making progress a lot of sacrifices were made but it was a national, it had a defined leader with Gandhi and others. And then World War II starts. What do you do? Right? The British are part of the Western powers defending uh, the world against the, 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 the Axis powers. And so essentially the Indian independence movement had to go on hold for a number of years. There was a little activity, but overall yeah. the leaders decided it was not easy to do that but they had no choice. Mm -hmm. so they literally had to sit there while World War II went on and wait for it to end before they could restart that. But the reason was a good reason, no problem. But it, it happens in many ways with activism. Stephen Greer went to enormous effort and expense to create the huge press conference in 2001, May. He, he brings witnesses in, he, he, he films hundreds and so witnesses, brings in excerpts from those tapes, they spent a lot of money to get the media in there. They got a whole bunch of press. It's huge. It's at the National Press Club in the ballroom, same ballroom where I held the citizen hearing on disclosure. And people are excited. People are pumped up. It's great. And uh, some interviews were being set up and so forth. But before that could get going, just four months later, September 11th. Done. Finish. Kaput. Forget about it. Setback. It was brutal. I know it upset him tremendously, it upset me. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's just the nature of things. So one of the reasons why, given that disclosure is at hand and the hearings could take place and the preparation has been made and the witnesses are there, has to happen soon, is because if we don't, I don't know, in July of this year, the Chinese are gonna sink one of our carriers in the South China Sea. A mistake. 
we didn't mean to. It doesn't matter. And then, hell, we're not going to see disclosure for God knows when. Uh, so, I mean, we, so if we, in other words, we have to act or if we don't do something differently, which is what disclosure would be, then we're going to keep getting the same results. And we know what those results are. Right. right? And so that's a message that's hard to get out. It's hard for people to grasp it, but I think people are starting to get it. So you're it's saying, you're saying it's basically done, now or never. Well, not now or never. It, it may be that, that they'll put it off, but nothing bad will happen and we'll get it in October. Mm -hmm. Okay. But history has not, not been good there. It, and the world is very, very uh, messy right now. Uh, so we need to get it done. Uh, and this is the best chance that we've had in my lifetime, except for that moment that could have happened in Roswell, 47. So we need to do it. Do you and think, so my message is do it. Do you think the ETs are putting pressure on the government to disclose? It's been speculated by many. There's no evidence for it. There's just no evidence. Right. It's nothing but a speculation. Not an unreasonable speculation, of course. So but, what, hey, what, what's disclosure going to look like? Well, the way it's supposed to happen, and it's always been this, is it's supposed, well, it can vary from country to country, but let's talk about the United States. Yeah. The way it's supposed to happen is with congressional hearings. Always with congressional hearings. There's only been two. The last one was 68, 52 years ago. And so, I mean, so why hasn't there been any since then? Because the government knew that if they were to really have hearings on this, the truth embargo would explode. So they, they held a couple of, well, let's do a hearing. They did a one day or, and then two years later, they did another one day or in 68. And they say, well, okay, we've done it. That's it. Goodbye. And then they closed Blue Book down in 69. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the real deal. Multiple hearings, multiple committees, starting off with military witnesses. That's a given. We've already seen many of these witnesses, but there's many more. And so what happens then? Well, the Congress is engaged. There are untold tens of millions of people watching these hearings, and I assure you the audience will be very, very large. And they're seeing evidence presented by military people, active or retired, with some documents as well, if they have them. Uh, and these people, obviously a military witness under oath in front of Congress is a pretty high bar. In other words, it's not likely that you got some guy there who's decided, I think I'll go lie to Congress about this, you know, because what the hell? What have I got to lose? No. So that's high credibility, high gravitas, seen by tens and tens of millions of people. And it's a nonpartisan issue, so all of the members can, can question these witnesses without political bias. Everybody's looking good. The committee chairs are looking great for allowing the hearings. The witnesses are looking good. It's a big deal. It's very strong, very positive. And it goes on for weeks. And so for weeks, millions of people, maybe hundreds of millions, maybe even a billion or more people around the world are literally seeing the evidence massing before their eyes, just like in the citizen hearing on disclosure, which is why I did it. It's why I produced it, because I wanted to show everybody that in, in, in Washington and the the journalists, what those hearings might look like, that they wouldn't be silly, they wouldn't be ridiculous, they wouldn't be a circus, they would be really pretty strong. And it worked. I mean, it, 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 it succeeded in that regard. Now, it's been, amazingly enough, almost eight years, and we, we haven't made any progress, but 
things happen, okay? Any of them. Uh, now, why that's... So everybody is winning at this point. The uh, witnesses are winning. The Congress is winning. The committee chairs are winning. The DOD is also winning because these are military people that are testifying. And that's great. And they're not... They're happy. That's good. Looks good. So what happens is that after enough testimony, it will be pretty clear to any reasonable person that, yeah, the uh, ET hypothesis is true, that this phenomenon, or at least some of the UAP phenomena, is in fact non-human in origin, meaning it wasn't manufactured here, and there's beings inside some of those craft that are not human. Okay, pretty much convincing. So... Now the president can the president's people can meet with congressional leaders, and in uh, and, and, and concert with con, uh, some of the top DoD people, and they can they can come together and conclude that it's pretty much been proven. It's 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 now sub, sub, sustained, so it's appropriate for the president to come forward and confirm it. So the president, President Biden, comes forward and says, and this is this is so the way it's got to be. In other words, based on the evidence that I have seen presented at these hearings and what you have seen, it's clear. The phenomena that has long been suspected as being extraterrestrial is in fact extraterrestrial. And I, after consultation with uh, people in the DOD and other, other entities, agencies, I can confirm that to you. It's extraterrestrial. Now, you see, people are going to say, well, well, great. You know, President Biden has looked at the same evidence and come to that conclusion and he's confirmed it to us. That's totally appropriate. I like that. And it will be anticlimactic. People will expect it. Minimal disruption. I say minimal disruption, but a huge amount of excitement, huge amount of interest and so forth, but minimal disruption. That's the way it has to happen. Now, it doesn't have to happen that way. A president could just get up one day and announce it, not even tell anybody. And that would be very disruptive. And they've never done it. They've never done it. Somebody in the Pentagon could try to do it, but it wouldn't matter because only the president can confirm the extraterrestrial presence and, and, that, and give us disclosure. Some colonel at the DOD cannot do that. What the colonel can do is destroy their career and end up in jail. So it has to be the president. Absolutely. So this is how it should happen. This is how I think it's going to happen. Now, other nations could take a different approach. And so another reason why we have to have these things now is that Vladimir Putin doesn't have to wait for hearings, assuming they even have hearings in the Politburo, whatever it's called, right? He doesn't have to wait. He can just announce it, right? I, Vladimir Putin, confirm today there's an extraterrestrial presence, and here's a bunch of evidence, right? And I am the disclosure president. Well, that would be disclosure, and that would be a bad thing for the United States. Very bad. It would not be good. And so if you, the longer you wait, the more likely it could happen. Or one of our allies could do it. The, the UK could do it, though I doubt it. More likely it'd be Putin or Xi Jinping, but it could happen that way. So we've been kicking the can down the road for 74 years. Biggest issue in history. Most profound event in human history awaits us. Probably the greatest political legacy of any president. And we've kicked the can down the road. Are we going to kick it down the road again and make that mistake? I couldn't make this case this strong uh, eight years ago. 
I was starting to make that case. I was making that case during the Clinton campaign because she was going to disclose. I'm quite sure of it. And I believe that because she was going to disclose, because that was probably figured out by the military intelligence complex, because articles were pouring out by the scores connecting her to the ET issue, connecting Podesta, right? And so forth, going back, and her husband, going back to Rockefeller mm-hmm. Nation, they were they're watching all of this from the, from the Pentagon and going, oh my God, she's going to disclose. And the media is all over it. So once she's president, they're going to just swamp her with thousands of questions. She's going to disclose. And we're sitting here and we got nothing, nothing. So the president discloses every and, and what, what's he going to do? What's the what are the political class going to do? They're going to say we did we you weren't told before this, so we're so sorry. But the Pentagon wouldn't allow it. They have embargoed this. We wanted to disclose you. My husband did. Clint, uh, Carter did. But the Pentagon are the bad guys. That's exactly what would have happened, and they knew it. And so I happen to think, guessing that this is what prompted them to come together with the plan. We got to get out ahead of this issue before she gets in the White House. And they were right on that time schedule, right on it, including the meetings with Podesta that we didn't know about until the WikiLeaks came out. WikiLeaks uh, released all the Podesta emails. And then she lost. And it blew the whole thing up. and They didn't know what to do. Hmm. I love this theory. I'm dying to see how this works out. And if somebody, somebody inside, somebody that's all part of this process, knows, knows that I've got it wrong. I mean, you got it wrong. That's not what happened. Call me up. Straighten <laughs> me up. Tell me, no, that's not it. Here's the way it is. Now, what they'll do is they'll say, see, that's not it. And I'll say, okay, what is it? I can't tell you. <laughs> it's like, I can't really tell you, but you haven't got it. You know, and I'm going to say, hey, man, until you can tell me, I'm sticking with what I got here. All right. Uh, so I got them, but I sort of got them in a bad, bad position. They can't, they can't correct me, uh, and they can't attack me. They haven't, by the way. I've never been attacked, and I've been making these statements a lot. Uh, not you, been attacked or criticized by anybody inside yet. Now they maybe they're sitting uh-huh. back, you know, thinking I'm an absolute lunatic, and wish I would uh, disappear. I don't know. It, it, uh, it, no, if it, if disclosure doesn't happen. Within say the next four years, oh, oh. do you think that the ETs will take it upon themselves? They'll say, "All right, we're done waiting. We're just gonna land in front of the White House and come out and say, hey, guys.'" <laughs> it is very reasonable consideration, without question. What is their patience? Now they have work they're doing here, so you know, it's not like they they. You know, I think they could continue to do that. Um, I think if there's a deadline, it will start to be real when the theory of interstellar travel finally is confirmed. In other words, now it's possible, you know, it's possible that a government would figure out the workaround around relativity and not tell anybody. Meaning... Yeah, we've got it. And then say, now we're going to build a starship underground. I mean, that could happen. Uh-huh. But there's actually a great deal going on in the public domain. There's a lot of research that's going on in the public domain, which is known. And it's, not, it's going to continue to advance. So unless, so likely that we'll reach a point where we are really almost there. In other words, we're, we're at the point where it's just a matter of 
taking the theory and taking a bunch of money and building a starship. Mm -hmm. That would be the deadline. In other words, they're, they're going to force the action before that happens. Now, how much before, I don't know. But there is the possibility of a completely secret program where they figure out the relativity workaround and then they build the ship underground. But the ETs have got a lot of tech, and so I think they'd know it. I interviewed I somebody. Yeah. Who, who, I interviewed somebody a while back who says he figured it out. His name was – actually, I just had to look up his name. His name was Mark Foran. Fiorentino. Okay. And he has, he says that he has figured out the way around relativity. He needs to publish as soon as possible. Yes. No prize. I can't see it on there, but, but he has a book out called The uh, Master of Reality. Okay. The Unified Field Theory. And his unified field theory is what creates his work around relativity. Again, he he has a theory that may have logic to it. I'm talking about the actual uh, one theory. of the theories re regarding the workaround is confirmed. Mm -hmm. In other words, they confirm it through experimentation. In other words, it's confirmed. You can't build a starship on theory. You've got to have fully established rules and laws that confirm it and are applicable. Uh, so that's what I'm referring to. Uh, but the fact that there are theories out there, and some of them have a lot of, uh, of uh, value to them, is the point I'm making. The ETs are fully aware of this, I'm sure. They know. And they look, they've been around a long time. They, they, they probably know how these, these, the, how these scientific tech, technological threads go. In other words, you crack the atom in 1990, 1991, whatever it is. You, you get the relativity about that time. You're going to build a bomb in 50 years. I mean, they kind of know how the it timeline, happens. Yeah. They can they can project, right? They're not they they've been around. This is not their first rodeo, so <laughs> they're they're monitoring us in that regard. And so again, that's the that's the key issue. We get close to that, and we still won't disclose. Then they will ratchet it up. Does that mean they'll land in the White House long? No. There's other things they could do which would trigger a disclosure process. And, and a confirmation from heads of state, but it would be more aggressive. It would be a little more, uh, maybe potentially upsetting, uh, but would get the job done. So far, they're keeping a relatively modest uh, exposure. Uh, the Nimitz case in 2004, that was 16 years ago, there was 80 of those craft. Now they may have been drones, uh, I'm sure the ETs have drones. Yeah, it doesn't matter whether they're drones or not. I mean, if they're if they weren't built here, then they're they're extraterrestrial. But they had 80 of them being seen by our. our you think you think they didn't know that they were going to be seen by the Princeton? I mean, of course they did. So when well, they disappeared, they got they headed toward Guadalupe Island and disappeared. So, but they were seen for quite a bit, weren't they? So obviously that. And and what happened? Well, the the Navy grabbed the the drives and told everybody, don't talk about this and because that's the truth embargo. And, and generally the whole thing went relatively silent uh, and kind of just disappeared into the shadows, got a little exposure, but not much for another 13 years. Right. Uh, uh, but nevertheless, a lot of witnesses saw it and those witnesses are coming forward now, aren't they? Yes. Uh, so that event <laughs> from 2004 is what turned up in the New York times 13 years later. If I'm an ET, that's not a hard a calculation to make. 
let's, let's give them a real show here. And eventually that'll, that'll get out and that will advance the process a little bit, which it has. I mean, they're, again, that is assuming there is a disclosure agenda. There is a possibility, I consider it small, that they're just doing what they do and they do not care whether they're seen or not seen because there's nothing we can do about it. Um, but I consider that low. I'll give that a best 5% mm-hmm. possibility as being the explanation for why they're observed as much as they are. So what do you think the timeline is? Do you think we'll know within the next four years? It's, I'll tell you the timeline I, I'm pressing for. I want, I, want to see, I want to see military witnesses in front of the Congress, multiple hearings uh, this spring. Late March, if the, if the vaccination program does well and the variants don't go really crazy, maybe April. Uh, and I'm talking, I want to see multiple hearings. I want to see them, all the appropriate committees, armed services, uh, obviously the intelligence committees and so forth. There's about you know, six or seven or eight. Uh, and uh, some, some, so be some private meetings for classified material, but predominantly mm-hmm. these are public hearings. They've got to be public. Uh, and I, I want to see them go on for however long it takes for the president, the Department of Defense, and the Congress to realize there it is. It would be difficult to hold these hearings and have this unbelievable evidence come out and then go to the public and say, well, you know, it's really incredible, but ah, we're not convinced. And there will be they, the, the public will not be pleased. In other words, mm-hmm. it's done, right? They're not gonna they're not gonna fight. They'd be crazy to fight. Uh, it's getting hard now for them to fight. Every time they uh, they make some stupid remark or something, the internet jumps all over them. Uh, uh, and there have been a number of instances like that. But to have hearings that convince the public that the ETA is absolutely real, and then well, we don't believe it. We don't even believe our own military witnesses now. Now look. There's some crazy stuff going on along those lines in in Washington D.C. these days, but it's about politics, not science. It's about politics, and that's different. Uh, uh, science is, is a different matter. I so that's I'm I'm thinking this year, uh, late spring, summer. That's it. Disclosure takes place. Open contact. I'm still sticking with two years. It's it, and that two years is based upon how long would it take for the entire planet to be fully informed to whatever degree they want to be informed about what we know about the ET history. So roughly we're saying around June of 2023. Correct. Exactly. Hmm. And we have the, you know, look, I mean, you look at the world right now, my God, you, can you educate 7 billion people about something like that? And into the, Oh God, yes. I mean, yeah, we already have a massive amount of material out. The government will add more. The content people, Hollywood, the documentaries are going to go nuts. There will be massive amounts of material available on the net continuously going after disclosure. And people will be able to read and study anything they want. They'll open up courses in universities all over the country. So two years of that, what? It's, it's totally and fully in play. And so that's, that's all that ETs need at that point to do open disclosure, open contact. Who is going to get upset? Of course, during that whole period, I'm, you know, unless I get COVID, 
I'm going to be running around telling everybody two years to open contact, right? right. And, and talking about why it, it, it's okay. It's going to work out fine. I mean, well, the activists won't just shut down after disclosure. There's even more things to activists activate about an ET issue. Mm-hmm. The world of exopolitics will flourish. Uh, but two years, that's all the, we need. Then the ETs can engage us, no upset, and we'll finally find out what is their ultimate agenda. What is the work they've been doing with us? Why have they been doing it? That we will find in open contact. I happen to believe that somewhere between disclosure and open contact, all abduction events will cease. Mm-hmm. If I'm for ETs, I would, I would cease it. In other words, I would say we've gotten what we, whatever we've gotten, that's enough. Uh, we got to stop. Now, they may reopen that issue post-open contact, and but on the basis of this is what we're doing is anybody willing to volunteer right we're not going to do it we're not going to do coerced uh, engagement and there are other people that will volunteer and we can continue some, something like that that would make sense but i could be wrong so i don't want to give any contact mm-hmm. default hope that don't want to continue to be involved in their program but there's a logic to like once disclosure takes place abductions are really not a good idea. There's a lot of reasons why that's going to be not good. Right. Uh, everybody concerned, including the ETs. Because the things that you, we could do to prevent abductions, we haven't begun to do the things we could do. Because, again, there are new ETs, right? So who's going to support that program? But with, with a full confirmation we may start taking substantial measures to prevent abductions, which makes the whole thing just a mess. So I'm going to guess they end the program, certainly before open contact takes place. I have a hard time visualizing Lindsey Graham telling the truth. Again, it doesn't matter. He's irrelevant. (laughs) No single politician is that relevant. Mm -hmm. This issue transcends politics, transcends religion, transcends economics, transcends egos, it's way bigger than any of us or all of us, but all of us are involved and we can't engage in <clears throat> do you and so think, forth. But do you think like people in Hollywood have been given information and conditioning us for this to happen? Like Spielberg? It's been speculated. Um, we know that the government has worked with many, many movies, particularly the military. We know that on occasion the government has tried to influence scripts because, you know, you want more help and we're not comfortable with that. But like a real clandestine program to educate the public, I don't think so. For one, too many people would be involved and they'd shoot their mouth off. Two, the, the Hollywood people don't need, didn't need government encouragement to do these films. These films made money. It's the highest, I mean, I did some research about 10 years ago. It's the highest grossing genre in all of film. It's made billions of dollars. The total is somewhere between 50 and 100 billion bucks. Right? The highest grossing movie, I told you, the highest grossing movie's got ETs in it. Second highest grossing mm-hmm. movie got ETs in it. And you go down the list in the top 50, it's loaded with ET movies. So just, they're going to make money. That's enough reason to do it. But also, I'm sure that plenty of directors and producers in Hollywood on their own figured out, yeah, this, this is real. The ETs are real. And so if they concluded personally that ETs are real and, and they know that a lot of people are also 
looking at this evidence and it's kind of a big deal, then they would calculate, wow, then their interest in this subject would just be more than like, well, it's just another piece of fiction. Right? Uh, Sci-fi is as popular as it is because the, 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 the very large segment of the population is fully aware that a lot of the things in sci-fi are, are either true or will be true. And so that makes it really intense. It's not like watching a period piece like uh, Braveheart. <laughs> Nobody is going to go out, get a horse, paint their face blue and go invade England. It's like, that's just history and drama. But the E.T. thing, no, this is the future. And so I think I'm sure some of them figured it out. Certainly Spielberg did. Yes. And so they, they, they have spent huge sums of money to play into that. The comic books played into it. Then they made the comic books into movies extraterrestrials are everywhere. So that's not an accident because if people didn't buy the comics and go to the movies, they wouldn't exist. They, they'd have to do something else. Mm -hmm. And so it's not indoctrination. It's simply the logical uh, development that you would expect given what's happened in the 20th century. So, you know, that's, that's how I see it. Again, I, I tend to go for the simpler, I'll always go for the simpler explanation. Uh, as opposed to the more exotic one, unless there is compelling reason to go to the exotic explanation. Uh, and that's what keeps me sane. Octum's razor. I'll tell you what, we got about six more minutes and I have to take a break because I have another interview from mm -hmm. midnight to two in the morning. Yay. Uh, but uh, this has been great. Yes. Any last question you want to pop on me? Yeah, I want my well. Oh, uh, that was obvious. Is where my listeners can where they can where can they find you? Sure. Look, a little self promotion here. <laughs> if, if if there's a lot has happened in the last three years, well, since October of 2017, and people see an article here and an article there, they read something and it's like seems like it's like watching corn pop, right? Uh, and and they're getting confused. And of course, there's a lot of nonsense and speculation on the net around it so it's it's going to be very confusing for people and i get it but those that really would like to try to try to understand it, really understand it there's a way to do this you go to my website paradigmresearchgroup.org or google paradigm research group three words and it comes right up you go to the website and you go under resources you will find the print media archive see so go to resources go to the print media archive and then you go in and then you click click to the archive. And what you have there is links to 12,000 articles. Mm -hmm. Now, go back, start in October 16. I'm sorry. Start, go, go, go back to uh, October 11th, 2017. The launch of the To The Stars Academy. And, and then move forward in time. As you move forward, you will see about 700 earmarked articles. In other words, there's, they're labeled, right? That deal with the TTSA and all of the subsequent events related to the TTSA in response to the TTSA. 700 articles. That's equivalent of about a 400 page book. So if, if you do that, I'm speaking to your listeners now, and you read every one of those articles, which will take you right up to the present, when you are done, you will be more, you will be one of the most knowledgeable people on the planet about the developments and what's going on in the last three years. 
because what you're going to be reading is pretty solid. There's, it's, you know, all the other stuff is not there. These are mainstream news articles, right? So there's substantial limits. That doesn't mean it's a whole story, but it, it's a, it's a minimal noise. And that will give you the picture and you will be one of the smartest people on the planet on that subject. Cause very few people have done that. I have colleagues that have done it. I mean, that didn't know this much. They've been following it all these years, but very few people can do that. But that's why I created that print media archive. Mm -hmm. So that's the best thing you can do. And while you're there, sign up for my, my uh, updates list. There's a couple of, you know, you can find a link at the top subscription and subscribe to my updates. It's free. Check out the Disclosure Wire podcast, disclosurewire.org is the domain, or you can link to it on my, my main site. Uh, the first one is up. It's an introduction. There'll be another one soon enough, but I, I have other things I'm doing. Uh, that's, one, that's my key project mm -hmm. going forward. Uh, and that is the, it's the first broadcast on, on exopolitical matters out of Washington, D.C. ever. And the studio is in the National Press Building, two blocks from the White House. So I'm positioned to do in-studio interviews with some interesting people, but that hasn't happened for obvious reasons. So there's that. Uh, all contributions are welcome. And I have a contribution page on the website, of course, like everybody else. Um, and uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, have you been in contact with DeLong or anybody from Two to Stars Academy? No. None. That, that's okay. Mm -hmm. I'm not somebody they want to engage. And I wanted to keep my distance. And I, and I haven't tried to engage them uh, because I want to keep my distance. I wanted to be able to assess this without just from what I'm seeing. Right. And, and also get out of the way. I'm, I'm, an, I'm a political activist. I'm, I'm, I, I have no non-disclosure agreements. I've never worked for the government, at least not anything major. I had a couple of short stints 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Um, 50 years ago. Oh God. But so I, I say and do whatever I want mm -hmm. and I will say what I want to say. And so it's, they don't want to engage me and I don't think they should. Um, I hope they're paying attention, but it's probably best that I, I just continue to be the, the observer, the activist observer. And, um, uh, inform the people of what I think is going on as best I can, given the fact that a great deal that's happening is not being disclosed. So we have to, we have to uh, do intelligent guessing or intelligent analysis. Um, but the fact, but the, as I've said before, at any time, if they want to contact me and, and inform me that, well, that you got that wrong, here's the way it is. I'm, I will correct either correct my my assessment or if I, they, I, they don't want me to correct it because it would reveal something they don't want to be revealed i would just simply pull that part of the assessment out mm -hmm. and uh and just not talk about that anymore i know that I'd, I'd stick with other stuff should they believe me on that i don't know I, I don't, there's no reason that they should well i mean it, 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 uh, it's, it's a very subjective thing I've been at this for 24 years. I do not have a reputation for, uh, with one minor exception, and it was a mistake, uh, of uh, um, talking about stuff in media that, that I'm not supposed to. That's 24 years of that stuff. So. But whatever. <laughs>
You know, if they don't contact me, that's fine. Right. Uh, but I'll tell you one thing. If hearings take place, I'll be there. Right. I will be in that hearing room. I don't know how I'll do it, but I mean, if there's if they're allowing the public, I'm going to get in. Mm-hmm. I'll do what I have to do to get into those hearings. I'll be there. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to that, to be sure. Fantastic. Oh, well, hey, thanks for coming on tonight. This was a fantastic interview. I enjoyed it. Uh, uh, these long-form interviews are great. I'll get me the link to it, ASAP, and I'll, I'll get it up on my social media. And uh, uh, maybe we'll do another show down the line when yeah. even more cool things Yeah, This one will be out in about a week. I'm about a week ahead on podcasts. Okay, good. Yeah, send me the link. I'll put it up right away. All right. Hold on one All right, second. I got I to take a break here and get ready for my next run here. All right. Have a good evening. All righty. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy T-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page www.everythingimaginable2020.com Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.